Welcome. I'm J. Michael Silver, and this is Foundational Steps, the show where I talk with people about the choices they made in the past to get where they are in life. In this episode, I'm talking with Krishna Gandhi, founder of Simonics, an EEG technology company that develops algorithms to measure substances in the body like cortisol, testosterone, and more. We have an amazing conversation about growing up between New York, London, and Mumbai and her journey to founding Simonics. Links to Krishna and timestamps for everything that came up while we talked are below. Please leave a comment or review. I'd love to hear your thoughts and check out our affiliate links and see if there's anything of value. Enjoy our conversation. Krishna, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Michael, for the um, invitation. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, so I, I just want to jump in and ask you how you currently define yourself um, and how, like, if you randomly meet someone on the subway or uh, the underground, I guess, in London, um, how do you define yourself if someone asks, like, who are you? Um, I define myself as, well, if it was somebody I met on the underground, if you're asking me um, if, who am I, it's a different, it's going to be a different explanation, but if it's someone awesome. random on the street um, and they were just asking me that, probably have like two minutes to answer, just say I'm a neuroscientist and I'm an um, inventor um, and I'm also a, a founder, so I'm just uh, commercializing the invention and the findings and offering it to the world. That's pretty awesome. And I'm sure they would go, oh, wow, because <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Um, do you have, uh, just because I, I think that's interesting, do you have different ways you would introduce yourself to, to in different circumstances? Are there times in, that you would hide that you're a neuroscientist or a founder or any of that? Mostly, most of the time. It's really about the context. Yeah. Um, I don't really like to put it out there if it's not <laughs> relevant to yeah, I get um, that. yeah um so if you ask me on a conversation in terms of like consciousness and outside of that kind of um definition uh, that's related to what do you do in the system mm -hmm. um you know it's a different answer so <laughs> yeah no I get that I, I mean and that's actually a fantastic distinction too to to kind of touch on for a half a second is that what you do in the system, you know, versus out, I mean, versus not in the system, you know, versus, um, I don't know, in a different reality. I don't know, like this gets really esoteric really quickly. Um, but how, how, how would you define yourself outside of the system? Like, do you, do you feel that you have an identity or think of yourself as having an identity that um, doesn't have to do with kind of the world at large and, and education and business and commerce and everything? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. how, how would you define that or, uh, I, or yeah. Um, I define myself as an explorer and um, a researcher mm -hmm. and somebody that's, um, you know, learning about what's happening and what's going on um why am I here what I you know what's the purpose and living I mean yeah. from questioning kind of living that yeah um a, a, a very in a, in a very focused way so like everything is like a okay let's see what will happen 
you know yeah like absolutely a, uh an experiment like <laughs> every it's a big experiment yeah it's a big experiment <laughs> fantastic and and so neuroscience and being an inventor and a founder the, this is just a way to engage with the rest of the world and be a part of um society or or you know this this other thing we're doing as humans mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the vehicle in which, you know, um, I can provide some value mm -hmm. to the system. Um, that's coming from that's coming from this esoteric identity, right? So yeah. or that's coming from that space because the system's there, that's fine, like a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Um, but and then you know, we've got what we need. Um, I think but I think we've kind of, from my point of view, it's like, okay, you know, we, we've got, we managed to create a system. We don't have to watch our backs all the time. Um, right. And so, okay, that's great. Now, um, can I kind of explore like more? Cause my basics are met. Yeah, exactly. And now, how can I actually really live this, like, hum like this life, this human life. Right. Yeah. But I kind of find the system's definition of life a little bit um uh not very stimulating <laughs> right kind of gets gets monotonous and boring at times sometimes like i just don't know why i after my basics are met you mm -hmm. know why i don't there's no motivation other than like you know well why would i why would i do the same thing over and over again it doesn't doesn't make sense. so it's just it's a different outlook but also with the research comes some insights and then and it's yeah. like you know what's the actual value where's the value why we're we chasing the value outside of ourselves um so yeah. uh the the there's so much to uncover it's like you okay i'm not going to mention any particular city but you get these cities that that like are just built you know and they've got like everything you need you know yep. in 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 this space and it's very glamorous and it's all you know everything all the services and mm -hmm. it's gorgeous and you know the finishing and um an experience and but you step outside of that and then it's nothing like that yeah and even after a little while get kind of like saturated with the similar stimulation and it's yeah. like okay so now what and so there's so much of that going on um but how many restaurants can you you know how many restaurants could i eat and it's just, just eating right it's, it doesn't yeah. matter like after a while how many rides like it's all the same right yeah so it's it's just um uh you know it's being like in a merry-go-round in, in, a, in a theme park and then yeah. sitting on all the rides possible it's, but but outside of that like what else is going on <laughs> you know? yeah yeah absolutely um, i mean it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to explore from an idea and in practical, you know, you know, practical reality is, you know, when you go travel from city to city and it's the in-between spaces uh, where you're going to see stuff that's interesting, shocking, different. Um, I, I, I think that's kind of relative to anything. It's the in-between spaces where you're going to, where you're going to be surprised. Um let's i mean we could go off on that on 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 its on its own i think we could go off on that for several hours so let's come back to um when did you find yourself you know in your body going oh you know 
how I'm doing this actually affects the reality around you. You know, this, the system that we plug ourselves into for work and for career jobs and education and all these other things, like how did you first, or, or what was that first moment that you looked around and you realized the choices you make could actually affect, you know, the reality you were living in? <clears throat> and it can be any time. And I'm, I'm sure you've probably had more than just one moment, but was there a first moment? And, and that could be our starting place for exploring that idea. So it's a really specific question, right? When do you first realize that your choices have an impact on things? Um, or, and, and so I don't know, because there's lots of things that have been happening for so long, like yeah. from the very beginning, I don't really know which point I could say. Um, though, um, the Does earliest point, the earliest point I think, maybe when I didn't want to do something yeah you know and that was like I don't want to do this why do I have to? so we were in Disney I remember this very clearly I was in Disneyland uh or Disney well in Florida in Fl Disney, Disney World, World. Yeah. yeah Disney World and I you know I remember it very clearly in my pink um um onesie um <laughs> how I old were you um I don't know I was like one and a half or something That's oh wow weird that's an early memory that's amazing is it yeah yeah and then my dad and we're watching this show and we're sitting um around you know um this, it, it, watching this show circus I don't know what it was uh and my dad's making me stand up on the on the bench to clap and I just don't want to do it <laughs> I just don't <laughs> want to do it like why do I have to do this and I really remember the that annoyance that feeling that that I don't want to do this and that that's kind amazing of, um uh very I strongly remember <laughs> so um so those kind of that kind of knowing that I don't want to do this and you're the other person and mm -hmm. this is you're making that kind of kind of distinction of of like a level of consciousness you know realizing that I'm not just uh that I'm a thing I'm not just mindless like yeah right there was there's a there's a there's a mental chatter you know um an awareness and thought process that's going on in my head i don't want to do this <laughs> and then i'm sure there was a some sort of reaction you know for however you were able to express yourself in that moment um there must have been some sort of reaction from your father as well well you know and so that kind of got you pushed back uh, on your pushing back yeah i mean i still have to do it but <laughs> <laughs> well you're one and a half <laughs> you, you probably weighed like what eight pounds or something yeah i mean it was this little i can't even remember i was like super tiny and um i remember it i do remember it but i think it was back then because that's when we were in, in that's when we lived there yeah um so so yeah uh but so as you got older, then um, there must have been a lot more moments where you're like pushing back. Like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so at what age for you was the first time that you were able to actually get your way uh, or, or you know, not have to do something? Mm, uh, an early memory 
Um, I think I'm. I think I may have been ex asserting myself after that. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and then you know, quite quite a yeah, somebody like I had my I was very strong minded, mm -hmm. um, curious, quite bossy I think, but very but very content in my own company, mm -hmm. and um, always kind of busy. Like my mom and dad didn't have to worry about me. I just get on with whatever, play be playful and, and. Do you remember what kind of things that you would do to occupy yourself? What kind of games you'd play or or a, a, a situations you would imagine um yeah i mean reading or uh um making things and um uh music was like you know uh, just kind of listening or playing playing what what playing what just stuff like 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 i don't know like the harmonium or like the these indian manjura things or this tambourine whatever uh, only child syndrome you just sit and make you know <laughs> you uh keep yourself in sync and then no, like that's my... interesting though that you have a memory because i don't think other people like i feel like most kids maybe all kids play with instruments or play with sound makers but to have a some level of awareness that you were kind of you know losing yourself in the music uh i think is a different a different experience than just you know here child play with this <laughs> you know um are you do you are you are you a musician now do you consider yourself a musician no i'm not a mus musician no, no. Uh, i i play um i play i might sing but i wouldn't call myself a musician it's just through you know training when i was young i did like indian classical um singing and harmonium for a few years like seven years was younger and still remember parts of it but I don't call myself a musician um that's just kind of I have practice and learning and things like I just enjoy it like I just yeah. enjoy you know uh, music and I enjoy singing it I think also like um funnily enough my mum wasn't a believer at all um at that time in in God or anything, you know, and that came later on in life. Mm -hmm. But I used to sit in the temple, you know, and that's like that is how I spent my time. <laughs> you used so to sit or sing in the temple. Sit, sit and sing sit. in the temple. Wow. Yeah. So, so that was just like that's how I like. Although that that's a funny one because like my mother wasn't that in like wasn't that religious at that time. She didn't actually believe it, as far as I know. And it, it, that came up much later in life um so well, how I mean, about your father not like much, no my father no, no not my father <laughs> not my father so how how did you end up in the temple then having I mean we have it in the home but like I don't know why I'm not sure I just used to that's like always literally and then I was playing and singing in in the in a temple one Sunday and I got given a statue of, of Krishna Bhagwan and it's like lord krishna like little krishna um like krishna with the flute or like baby krishna baby krishna okay and i still have that uh statue today you know um so yeah like it's a it's weird um but it's a you know people have imaginary friends don't they um yeah. but i didn't have an imaginary friend but i just in my 
I don't know. I think I've always believed and I didn't even know that I believed. Do you, do you see what yeah. I'm saying? No, 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 I get Can't that. explain it. My father, my father's an atheist and an existentialist, as I think I mentioned um, earlier to you um, before we started recording. And, um, but his father found religion or spirituality later in life after my father was out of the house and gone. And so when, um, when I was born, my grandfather cut us out of his life and disowned the family because um, I wasn't named after the last dead uh, Jewish family member. And that's, you know, a, a Jewish thing. Um, I don't know if it's in other religious cultures or what have you, but, um, but when I was four years old, evidently there's some sort of timing with kind of uh, energetic awakening or something like that in, in Kabbalah. Uh, I don't really know for sure. Uh, or understand it. I've heard different things from different places, but he decided, no, he had to be part of, he had to meet, meet his grandson. And so for as long as I can remember, um, I had spiritual teachings, but without the religion, it was just ideas because my dad was so against like, you know, indoctrination um, so my grandfather would just tell me these wild stories and, um, and it just lit me up. It was like, yeah, that's reality. <laughs> like re reality is, is not this, you know, it's not the blocks it's, it's, uh, something behind the blocks, uh, yeah. or, you know, it's the in-between spaces going back to that. Um, and so I've, I'm like you, I've always had some sense of, call it magic, um, you know, spirituality, whatever, that there's, there's uh, more going on. And right, there's something, there's like the feeling of something always has been there. Yeah. Like, um, and it's had its influence, you know, that in, in, in my, um, na like navigation um, mm -hmm. of reality. So, uh, but uh, um, I just want to, just as a as a very young child I think I was very attached to my mom and she used to say like you never used to let me sit down and um be in the kitchen and things like that so I was quite a good scapegoat for her but um <laughs> at that time for yeah. cooking but uh and then as I got older got um older as in like from maybe three four or four years old got much more independent and um my my so I've always been around my cousins and and I've my my best friend that and there's two of us uh, three of us but uh the one of me and my other best friend we are literally together all the time since nursery uh, and first school and uh yeah we we'd we'd uh, be so creative together you know we'd always be making and playing to the point that they just by default just thought we'd always be together either we're at this house or at her house yeah and no parents didn't bother checking they just assume we're at one house or the other oh wow like, like it was like that all the time and so we were really kind of um we, and we were geeking out like we'd always be like doing math and science and <laughs> painting and uh building things and uh, <laughs> uh yeah I mean we really were super geeky up until like uh and she, she she's doing she's an artist now she's incredibly oh, wow. and then the third one came along as well and she's amazing too so because we live so near each other and my cousins would come over in summertime or we'd go to i was between india london and mumbai so mm -hmm. 
Like, so there's always so many people. Uh, quick around. side note. That's a really interesting distinction. You said between uh, India, London, and Mumbai? India, London, New York, sorry, New Jersey. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes Mumbai is in India. Yeah. yeah that's it's why I was confused. India. I was like, yeah, no, my I wasn't sure if Mumbai was considered kind of its own thing. Um, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Anymore. Mumbai, yeah. London, New Jersey. Gotcha, 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 yeah. gotcha. Um, that's amazing that you had the ability to experience such drastically different, especially, you know, even 10 years ago before social media, I feel like those places were far more disparate, you know, had their own kind of cultures and their own kind of things. I feel like maybe now with social media and the advent of communications, so so prevalent perhaps they become a little bit um watered down but those are three major hubs of the world that have their own spirit and their own um you know vibe it's you know it's just so different yeah well i think that's definitely been an um uh components um because that exposure has provided backdrops and and for, for more new data points and information yeah. culturally also the different kinds of people in each plate in each location like there was like similarities but mm -hmm. then there'll be like these odd folks that are outliers amongst all of them in the area, but yep. they were similar across the different yes. cultures. And that unification, which is something that we talked about, was generally something of those people that were critical thinkers. Yes. Um, and they were coming from different backgrounds and different cultures, and, um, and yet they converged on like a truth across those three cultures. Um, and this is why, like, you know, I think that's beautiful because how can they converge on these kind of out this outlook um, yeah. when they haven't had exposure to it? So it didn't really matter what religion or which culture or what language, but the commonality, the commonality was that this unit, this thread of like, um, so that was really important because then yeah. it all, yeah, that was really important because no matter so in India, you get, it, when I go to Mumbai, I'd be able to get exposure to, you see, the very comfortable aspects of life. And then, you know, you walk out on the streets and you travel. And it's not always like that, you know. Right. And you there's sometimes like the use of, you know, the, the normal facilities are just, I mean, bathroom facilities, for example, at some places, it was like, you know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It's I've difficult, heard, right? Yeah, I've, I've, I've not <laughs> Now been, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> now, oh, now it's quite different. Um, but at that time, it wasn't like, you know, the normal uh, lavatory that we, you know, we have and quite easily take for granted. It wasn't like a normal thing. And, um, you know, d d but then people live so differently with less, um, but somehow have um, a wider smile on their face and a lot more joy in them. And yeah. That was interesting to kind of see as well, and the warmth, and the and the warmth and and the intimacy between, um, you know, the kind of friendships that people make. They're so much more intimate, and relationships between so much more intimate. And it's like people just walk into each other's space mm -hmm. how they want, 
there's no thank you and there's no sorry and there's no because it's almost like it's almost a, a formal barrier using mm. the thank you and the sorry so it's just like wow it's a whole different yeah it's interesting i find that um in traveling myself you know even just even just in america and or in the united states um you know you go to some place that's more impoverished or um you know smaller backwoods you know kind of whatever that image conjures and there is a much greater sense of you know community togetherness you know we're in this together and yeah life is tough but you know we're making the most of it and i feel like in as as you kind of move into the cities that sentiment is easily forgotten or left aside and then it requires a level of you know seeking or critical thinking to kind of come back to that ability to be happy um in the best and the worst of situations and and just you know doing what we do and mm -hmm. I, I there's i mean people are people like if you read any any old text or even ancient text, like people have not changed in thousands of years. You know, you've got people who are very um, conservative and, and uptight, and you've got people who are, you know, critical thinking. You've got people that are just kind of kumbaya. Like you've got you've got all the spectrums throughout the world throughout millennia. And not much has changed. <laughs> like right. uh, our ability to communicate has changed. And that's about it. Mm -hmm. So as you were, you know, going through life, I mean, this seems to be, um, you seem to have a, a, a great handle on seeing the differences and the advantages and the kind of levels of where people are thinking and, and, uh, what they're able to do or not do. Um, so this must play into becoming a neuroscientist. So at some point in time, you must have realized that this interest in, in how people think and what they're thinking and, and how there's similarities between people across uh, language and culture barriers are the same. Um, at what point in time did you realize that this was all like super fascinating to you um i think so it, it was always fascinating but i didn't know what word i didn't know what you know what discipline mm -hmm. would kind of you know approach that subject you know i'm i was i studied neuroscience in 2007 right Okay. So, so 2007, 2008, right? That was my, that that's when I did the, the my master's in neuroscience. Gotcha. Um, and, and was that the when you were doing your master's? Was that when you kind of realized that oh no, this is this is it. This is what I want to spend my time doing. Um. Yes, actually, I knew what I wanted to do before, and then this was the vehicle in which I had to study it like formally gotcha. um as in to qualify it so i um so some so 
So I, I didn't actually know, this is really bizarre. This, and I, I can't understand how I could not have known this considering I was super studious and, um, and just, again, I suppose living in the present, I think my parents just assume I would know what would happen afterwards, what the process is. Maybe they relied on my parents and not on the teachers to tell me. Right. I don't really know, but they didn't tell me like what, the <laughs> this is crazy. No one told me about like, this is what happens. Like you go to high school and then you go to college and then you go to university and then you kind of do this and then you get married and then you did it. Like nobody told me. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, this is crazy. So I was just like, even at very, a, a te like, you know, teenager, not really thinking about all of that kind of like this vision and stuff, you know, I'm only finding out about, about how my friends were thinking about them visualizing their future. Like, right. Um, like maybe only a few years ago. And I'm like, Would you, I never knew you guys were thinking, we've been together all the time. You know? oh, but hilarious. actually there was one point, <laughs> there was one point where we did say like, oh, you know, you guys are going to get uh, married and I probably won't, um, <laughs> I probably won't, your children will come to my marriage. And this kind of, so that was like off the cuff remarks. So that's about it. Um, and, but, but so even in terms of university and, I didn't really know about the steps and when someone would ask me what do you want to be I'd just say doctor because that was like the standard thing to say right. like it's a safe um, it's a safe thing to say where you're not going to get a lot of pushback and people aren't gonna um you know grill you like if you said <laughs> I want to be a dancer people were like wait why <laughs> really it was just so cool like it was like the thing to say right yeah. and um and I remember like fixing stuff and just doing things and my granddad would like my dad's dad he came over from India and staying with us and he was like just watching he's like oh my my child like is going to be an engineer like he was like saying it so proudly at that time <laughs> and I was like okay but no actually no real kind of um no real kind of uh plan plan no and living really in the moment I just think like this is a really living in the moment that's know? amazing <laughs> yes my my uh, my teachers like like at high at middle school like they used to praise like us because we were always so studious like always working like you know be ahead of our homework like mm -hmm. maybe months of, like we'd, we'd have to do all these math uh math kind of problems and we just basically get through the whole lot and he wouldn't even imagine that we would it would be like for maybe enough to keep someone busy for a couple of years but we just like right. got on. yeah so we but you were exploring kind of, you were having fun with it you would explore and the we, idea and <laughs> we found it. it fun right yeah exactly yeah and it was comp it was quite competitive because we used to compete with other the other boys in the class but yeah um, i was part of the math club in high school and it was kind of fun to go in and do these special tests and and compete for who who would get the equation the fastest and all that stuff um i don't I, I, like i was good at it but i don't think i think i did it because my friends were doing it not because it's like what i loved or wanted to do i it was just something kind of random and fun my friends were doing it i'm gonna do it too <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. So just to kind of, yeah, so I just to answer the question real quick. So then basically I fell upon it and cause I knew what I wanted to study, but I didn't know how to study it. Yeah. So I found this and I wanted to kind of just mark as a point that in this world, like it's difficult to find a point of anchor, you know, an anchor of truth because yeah. 
uh, and I, I found my anchor of truth and I had to follow the thread and mm. I followed the thread. So the only, so the thing I had to do was, okay, I know that we can measure um, mental activities. Like what I'm thinking has a, a physical kind of measurable, um, something that's physical measurable. So yeah. I know that that was my kind of anchor of truth. So that means like whatever I was thinking or doing would have like a, it would have like a, a, a physical manifestation at some level, at least on the level of the EEG. Mm -hmm. That was it. And so for me, I needed to follow that. And how do I follow it? Because essentially I need to understand how that makes up everything I know, because that was the only thing that I, I knew at the right. time. So I did philosophy and uh, that was my undergraduate um, and I wanted to figure out how can I understand, you know, the world because I have to rebuild my world. Yeah. Um, based on <clears throat> this one, this one truth that I know. That's the only truth that I know. Um, and so I explored, explored it, um, recreating my whole Weber belief based on that premise that I knew to be true, my anchor of truth, and did. Um, chose philosophy of mind and philosophy of um, psych uh, psychology mm -hmm. as my optionals and that allowed me to explore the vast kind of various models and theories and discrepancies and holes of the arguments and which then like including computational neuroscience so whole vast from from clinical neuroscience to to neuroimaging and, and computational neuroimaging and, and mm -hmm. all sorts of models until I could, with this kernel, this one anchor, this this premise I could that I knew was true. How do I then build like truthful statements? Because that's what philosophy does: is that you have right. to check the, yeah. that the premises that build this uh, view. Yeah, um, I mean, to uh, some extent, philosophy is a mathematical uh, language. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just using it's using language in place of numbers. Um, yes. but it's, I mean, it's, it is equations and proofs and, and so forth. So okay. that's, that's interesting. And so your next leap into, into neuroscience was to take it on as, you know, take your philosophical point of view onto, to, to try to map it in a way that, um, you could make it more tangible. <clears throat> yeah so then it was to, then it's to approach this mind brain relationship in a scientific way mm -hmm. so it's like <clears throat> it's it's much easier to have a good overview of what you're looking at than considerations and think about all the various you know um everything to consider about it first and then right. um kind of approach it in a scientific way mm -hmm. uh because otherwise it's a needle in a haystack right yeah. so um, and so, again, keeping to the thread um, that this was that something this relationship was measurable. Um, how do I how am I able to what does that mean? Um, can we actually can I what else can I actually make bring that of value to some? How do I prove this? How do I prove this? Right. So it, 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 that neuroscience um, syllabus had come from MIT it was like the first of its kind in this country and they didn't have it before it's at Westminster University actually I made a mistake I need to make a correction it's neuropsychology so um lots of uh, uh, I'm meaning to do that I keep forgetting but um cognitive applied cognitive neuropsychology but it can 
it co like covered you know clinical neuroscience and neurons mm -hmm. and computational neuroscience and uh, it was a beautiful you know uh, a syllabus that covered everything i wanted to know right and and does justice to this uh, mind brain relationship in basically it it was the neuroscientific it was a scientific way to explore the philosophical uh uh you know uh considerations of, of the right. mind yeah of course so now this was a natural extension for me and luckily it was the first time that was introduced in in this country and i was able to um be part of that but be part of that um that course so at westminster they were adopting what they were doing did you say mit or harvard mit mit that's what i thought you said i don't know why harvard stuck in my brain though um mm -hmm. so the this is the first time westminster was adopting mit's uh, syllabus and you got to be kind of part of the pilot to explore um really a a, a wide swath of uh information data and ideas pertaining to you know the human condition through the lens of neuroscience neuropsychology and you know and, and i'm sure neurobiology uh as well mm. That's is, fascinating. Yeah, yes and so then in my master's, um, in my dissertation project, I'd, um, I'd carried out this um, experiment and my, I asked for a, um, um, an EEG machine. Like mm -hmm. I asked instead of a car for my parents. So, <laughs> so, that, was, so that was so, your, your, please mom and dad, can I have a EEG machine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what I wanted but actually I was doing EG work before my my master's dissertation so yeah. I was already doing that I was already I set up my company called Neurobeats and all kind of things to to provide to do this EG side so EG I did an EG training course I um kind of partnered with um a neuromarketing company and uh what was subcontracting with them and worked in a clinic providing neurofeedback and so then I had this machine that I could actually <clears throat> use in my 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 project and uh, I so managed you to got find your own point. EEG machine to just play with and then also use for for your dissertation and for your you know science scientific work yes that, that's got to be abnormal right that's not like a normal thing for other neuroscientists to do is buy their own EEG machine well yeah I mean sure <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> Um, I, I would love to find out how many people have their own EEG machine. And I, I can't imagine there's many there. It's gotta be only a handful of people. Well, I have three right now. You have, well, but this has also become your business though. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that's, you know, that changes the game a little bit. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess, what did you find out or, or what, um, you know, it sounds to me, which is interesting because I don't feel like most people get this, um, but it sounded to me, not only did you have a singular focus um, and, and it was growing and you were discovering it as you went because you were so kind of focused in the moment and living in the now, but not only did you have that singular focus, but you were able to maintain it and cultivate it as you went and stay in that track. And it seems to have worked. Like it didn't blow up in your face and go, well, shit, now what am I gonna do? So like, what were you, 
finding out um, or how were you balancing uh, everything to keep it working? Like, you know, like, because there's gotta be, there had to be a lot of things that you were juggling, people coming at you, professors, you know, friends that could have pulled you off track or could have made you kind of miss whatever you found. But like, how did you, how did you stay on track? How did you, you know, juggle it all? Um, yeah, that's, that's like the key question, right? Um, because uh, <clears throat> this is why anchoring, you know, your anchor, mm-hmm. if you, if you can find an anchor that you know is true, you can't, you, you cannot move from that point. It doesn't matter what the world says. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't matter right. what, who says what, it doesn't matter what the consequences are. It, that that is uh, a premise in which is not it's not it's unmovable it's a foundation right yeah um and it then builds a um it becomes a navigation um tool to to explore reality so uh, have... you could say you could, i could i'd be i, I have it there wasn't a time where it could have been falsified mm-hmm. if it could be falsified then sure i'd have to review it but i mean i had done uh, so much work um, because first the, in the first conflict um, is within myself mm-hmm. and that was the bit the hardest uh, battle in, in um, what way or and, and what do you mean by that well most most time you, you most most times you want to be able to trust yourself yeah right um, at least in terms of what you see or hear or feel or think you you, you think you, you can most people take it for uh, you know take it for granted and take it for that's how it is mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't even able to do that um, so I was still kind of questioning like right so I'm experiencing like my visual system uh, this is my visual this is my auditory system this is how I'm feeling and, like is that even is that really how I feel or is that really mm-hmm. coming from me or where is that is that is that really what I'm seeing I'm I can't even trust my senses mm-hmm. to, <laughs> to tell me what's going on and um then when, when other people are saying things um that don't that don't, that don't seem um aligned with doesn't seem logical Mm-hmm. that it's got no chance <laughs> if i if i can't even trust my own if i'm questioning my own senses right yeah. so in terms of like uh the first battle was to try and find um an, a foundation in myself to be able to even explain um like how far can i trust my visual how far can i tr- trust my senses mm-hmm. um to relay information to me and the limits of um, that information uh, to provide a picture of the universal mm-hmm. and so that knowing the limitations has been um, incredibly liberating because uh, it's just telling me that that's it's just not com- it's not complete anyway yeah so so that that was the first battle that's interesting so I don't I don't, I can't say I really trust my senses. I've had eye issues. 
I've had five surgeries on my eyes. <laughs> so I like I've never been able to fully trust my, my uh, eyes. Um, I trust them well enough to be able to drive or, you know, whatever, but beyond that, I know, I'm no, I know that my eyes will miss things. And so I know that I have to have my, use my other senses to pick up things that my eyes aren't picking up. But I also know that I have an, I have an incredibly strong sense of smell, but it, sometimes I can block smells out. I don't know how the hell I'm blocking smells out, but like, if I key in, I'm like, then it's like, oh yeah, I smell that. But somehow or another, like I completely missed it. And it was like, you know, something I might, you'd think, oh, like, how would you going to miss like, I don't know, fresh muffins, but it's like, I just missed it. Like I was smelling something else. I just missed it. Um, so like, I have a long history of, um, like you not really trusting my senses and using them the best that I can. Um, however, I never, I, I don't think I ever worried so much about the limitations. I just knew like this body's limited. My sensory experience is limited. And, um, and I think I, after that relied on to a certain extent, either, you know, what people call their sixth sense or intuition, um, you know, kind of, a you know, the esoteric side of things. And often, um, you know, I have faith to me, isn't about religion or spirituality. Faith to me is about the ability to let go of the things that you can't know and accept that, you know, the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Like when I was younger, I had no idea why the sun was going to rise or why it was going to set. I knew it did that. And I had faith it was going to come back the next day. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I started understanding the systems behind that. And so for me, anytime I don't know what's going on, I rely on faith. It's like, well, it's happening. So it doesn't really matter at the moment if I can figure it out later, if I care enough or have the time or I can find someone to explain it to me, great. Otherwise, I'm just going to accept this is, uh, this is how it works for now. Um, and not, and I not try to put too much onto it. Um, but it's interesting to a certain extent, there's some similarities, but you also were really geared towards finding, you know, within the idea of, you know, the neuroscience and the neuro philosophy, you were really geared towards finding, uh, how it de defined and, and how it's defined and how you define it and how, where your limits are. Uh, that's a really interesting, um, distinction. I have the way you would define your anchor has that changed yes it's moved because it's it's still true mm -hmm. but it's moved because there's a there's there's a more information to build a bigger foundation on which that stands um and that moves to faith as well so mm -hmm. um you know that faith is not faith if it's easily jittered there's there's right. like a there's a um there's a rationale like it to me it makes perfect sense it's just like well that's it's to me it just it's just like uh it's it's like it's not gonna sound like very faith like like it's faithful as such but i find that it's mechanical like it, it, it can't not um like 
it's not just faith for the sake of faith right it's part of the ontological uh, system like that's how that's how things are so i can't use it from faith because to me it makes perfect sense like yeah like yeah i mean to use the sun as an example just because it's a really easy obvious you know thing i could see that it's it's path you know after i don't know a couple days or whatever you see that there's a pattern there's a path and once there's a pattern and a path then there is a system in which that this thing works in and it it it's and it's probably extremely complex and you know you can be looked at simply and like i just accept that okay there's a system behind this and i and i have faith that this is how it works and for it to change would require some massive shift in um in either reality uh as we know it or uh some cosmic thing and as i got older that became more and more true and more and more obvious and um yeah, so I, I totally get that. Just for anyone, just just in case anyone's lost um, that might be listening to this, what's the easiest way to define what your anchor is? Um, because we're talking around it a lot. So just in case anyone was like, "What? But so, what's her anchor?" Like because right, so everyone could have their own anchor. For me, my mm-hmm. anchor that I thought was the only true thing to me, it even over my senses, was that. The mind, like the mind, this intangible thing, was has an impact, has an effect in the physical. And how can it be intangible if it has yeah. a physical impact? Yeah. Um. And so it can be intangible, but it's not. We can't just. We kind of okay. So we kind of stick it into the whole imaginary. Yeah. Uh, woo woo uh, category, as if it's not actually there. I mean, most of the time we live, but we kind of don't we, we treat it like it's a second secondary thing actually no yes. it's a primary thing yes um and it is such a big part of the machine yes so you know i think in the in the last i don't know maybe at least this side of the world um you know in the in the last 20-ish years has become a bit more, the mindfulness has become a lot more prominent in people's yeah. life and the yep. way they live but at the time at least from in my world view and where i was it wasn't really something that people acknowledged um in the way that um so it was it was a real kind of um it just confused it just confused me completely yeah. and i couldn't understand why people do anything and i i had that one of the, i had this huge existential crisis at, at the age of 9 when i saw the size of the universe and i couldn't i like i could understand the size of the solar system Sure. You know, it's, it's a Reader's Digest book, and I, and I can understand that. And even then, it was really vast. Oh yeah, it's massive. But when I turned the page, and it was just like so many um, Milky Ways, and then there's just this like arm of the Milky Way with this arrow pointing to zip, like nothing, like I yeah. can't even see on the page. And yeah, that was yeah. our solar system that just like br- like frazzled my brain. Yeah, I mean um, that's just I one just galaxy, and there's trillions of galaxies. Yeah. <laughs> I just got answer. I was like, so what is the point of any of this? Like, why? Like, what is the point? Are we just the question was like to my mom and my cousin, like, am I are we just robots? Like, how do we work? Do we need batteries? Like, how comes and these are the kind of things that used to preoccupy my mind? And I, you know, I used to have nightmare for so many years. And I think these kind of questions also then 
interacted with reality that brings answers in such unusual ways um because like it was such a strong <laughs> such a strong kind of it used to really consume a lot of my yeah. mind and my time yeah so, i mean yeah. those are big questions and once you grapple with them i think it's very difficult to put them down um and if you put them down you put them down through faith and you say I accept this is not something I'm ever going to understand. And I just need to back away because it's, you know, it's blowing my mind. And there are people that do that, I think, and just, they just trust um, and they have faith and they let it go. Um, mm -hmm. But other people like yourself, like me, you know, we like to grapple with bigger concepts and we like to play and, you know, for you, you're making a career of it. And, you know, for me in my way, I'm making a career of it. Um, and it's interesting, I think, to, you know, to look at how that affects us. And, and, and you know, to some extent, everyone's living within the, this reality. Hmm. And, you know, how we engage or don't engage uh, dictates, um, everything and you know the more we engage the more power we have to guide our lives and to uh, help guide others and the mm. less we engage the um the more at the mercy of you know the currents we are you know that's mm. and that's you know part of the podcast part of the point of the podcast is to get people you know, more engaged, you know, in the currents of their life so that they have more ability to guide where they're going and where they want to go. And, um, you know, your work, obviously you're giving people more power, uh, to do the same thing in just a completely different way. Exactly. I mean, that, let me summarize it right there. That's the, the point, um, and the endeavor, um, and the love behind it all yeah um you know literally it's all like absolute love from you know and it's 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 um yeah it's coming from love and it is love and you know, yeah that's and it, it means it means uh it means to you know help empower the individual um to realize their own uh inherent value because this is this is a thing like we're seeking value outside when actually the values in each individual who can manifest who, who has the will to manifest their thought that's mm -hmm. where the value is right it doesn't yep. matter then if, you, if it's if it's a little bit difficult here and there or whatever but it that's fine that's that's not here or there you know right. so um and when i mean the anchor and, and this is like the the kind of i would highlight this because if we spend some time to try and find some anchor it doesn't matter what it is but something that you really feel that this is really true for me mm -hmm. um and stick to that so that it kind of it doesn't there's there's a point of does it make sense it's a reference point mm -hmm. you know it becomes a reference point so if somebody says anything at there's a reference point to check it back at if there's no check, if there's no reference point, everyone's just floating aimlessly, right? There's no reference point. There's nothing to check it against. Mm -hmm. It's okay if we can, if we move 
it's, it's all right to move or iterate or move the anchor, but check it against something yeah. before getting kind of uh, taken away off, yeah. off of course completely, uh, you know, aimlessly, because then we don't kind of create our own navigation tool mm-hmm. and, and, and realize our value in, in, in how we can, in, in exploring, you know, our individual experience, yeah, reality yeah, yeah. in our individual way. Otherwise we get kind of taken away by other people, as you said, the currents, right? And that's mm-hmm. okay. That's okay. Yeah. But then make that, make that, make that the anchor. And then, then how do you then live? So that, that becomes, uh, that's so aligned that that yes. becomes leading one to the, a, a truth that b- brings one's kind of full um, purpose and, um, you know, that allows one to fully live uh, fulfilled without needing to chase the value outside of themselves. Right. And I mean, to, to put a, to put, put a, just a slightly different perspective on, on have your anchor be like uh, flowing in the current. I know people and I'm sure you've met people or know people uh, and other people, you know, out there know people that seem to just kind of float through life and they're anchored to the idea or to their kind of uh, their ship, if you will, that that's what they're going to do. They're just going to float through life and they're going to just navigate the currents. And, you know, some of these people are extremely successful. Um, Some of them are successful, but you wouldn't ever know it because they don't have like the normal house and car and, you know, that people think of as success, but they're, they're living their life and they're, they're, you know, finding the most interesting things, ending up in the most interesting places, have the most amazing stories because their anchor is, is like their ship and their ship is just constantly on the move. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. So I want to kind of tied up for today. And I, and, you know, I think that there's so many different things we talked about, um, that we could go on for hours, but before, um, we wrap up, do you have, um, any practice, you know, like mindfulness, meditation, breathing, art, anything that is, is a channel for you to decompress, you know, or handle and manage the stress? Do you have any, any specific practices that you've been doing? Um, sure. So um, the Vipassana is, is a fantastic technique uh, to practice. You know, they've got a Vipassana centers all around, dotted around the world. So there'll be a center you know near anyone you just google it but um and there's a link on the the Vipassana website um it's like a 10-day course like the the first time anyone does it it's a 10-day course and it's it's required because you we basically put ourselves in a situation where complete um uh uh, cut off lack of stimulation of the senses so that's the logic yeah you cut off but the logic is you just don't stimulate any of your senses so what you end up doing is watching the mind actually in its own essence because it's not preoccupied churning new data right so it's not like looking at visuals or not not distracted with sound or not distracted with music or no it's just like still so Mm -hmm. what happens is we end up observing the mind 
in its in, in its <laughs> its own natural state without it right. being tightly churning um, sensory data. Uh, and it's interesting because you know I don't know how many people will get a chance to ever do that. Um, so the ten day course in the, the billions exactly, and 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 this is it, and it's it's so powerful. It's so powerful. How old do. were you and when you found days, the It's free. It's free, um, and everything's taken care of. Um, I knew about Vipassana, but I didn't um, sit the course until I was 29. Okay. So that was in 2009. And it, I'm, I'm 42 now. So, you know, there's, I've done a few courses since then, but yeah. uh, and it's, uh, it's an amazing tool to have. Um, and it, it also, and the, and the philosophy behind it as well. But you know, it all it all convert. It's this is a practical technique. Yeah. Uh, so, and then there's just the out general outlook about. There's a neuroscience uh, um, out aspect of courses. I mean, this is what I do. Uh, yeah. Courses of stress in the EG in the mind. Yeah. So you know, stress is is has it's it's why it's so interesting is because the mind. Uh, if we change our mind, we can change our physiology. Yep. And this is why, you know, the hormone cortisol to me is so interesting as a biomarker because there's where we can capture this mind-brain interaction. Mm -hmm. um, so even in a neuroscientific point of view, like it helps to manage stress, just knowing that. Yeah, um, for sure. And the practice and yeah, breathing techniques are also just get, just kind of don't let it kind of tighten up in your in certain parts over Vipassana helps us get there as well because we can see tightening position places in our body where mm -hmm. we store stress people store it in different places mm -hmm. um and that can lead to health issues in the long term oh yeah but but um yeah so it's and Vipassana helps to release these uh, the stresses in our body that's fantastic yeah it's really interesting I'm I became aware of Vipassana a long time ago, but I've never done the the ten days. Um, at some point in time, maybe I will. I've had a mindfulness practice, you know, since I was a child, and and uh, different forms of meditation. I've played with all kinds of different forms of meditation, and um, moving meditation has always been um, something really important to me. You know, whether it's you know simple simple as um, going for a walk or a run or bike ride um, and just kind of getting into a zone and being somewhere where I can just kind of, you know, get into that rhythm um, or like Qigong exercises when I was a little kid. Like that was actually one of the first things that I learned. I think I was five or six. I learned Qigong exercises um, and some basic moving meditation. And then I've been playing with that forever. Um, mm. But it's, yeah, it's so amazing um this is a thing if you take one thing and just do it like and stick to it and have a thread it'll get somewhere oh absolutely you know, it will reach so if it is through training and getting into that zone like you said to get into mm -hmm. that rhythm and it's like okay then that will also get to a particular reap like like there's this story about the well i don't know if you've heard it but you know if you dig if you want to find water you know uh, so uh, teachers dig asking students to find water, right? You dig, you start digging, and you've got to dig all the way, right? Until you, then you'll find some water. But if you keep stopping every like 
two days a week, we're never going to get there, right? Yeah. And keep digging a new hole, keep digging a new hole, but we're never going to find water. Right. So it will converge. It will, yep. Because it all converges, because it's all a truth, it doesn't matter yep. which part we pick, but if we pick it and stick to it, like hold a thread and follow it, it will take us to uncover the same truth. Yeah, you know? 100%. I actually, I have on my calendar, it's a repeating notification because I will add notes and, you know, make changes. Um, but it's, it's um, the note on my calendar, something to the effect of uh, pick one. Um, they all lead the same place. And so I've been keep on adding notes to, like, I don't know if I'll write a book one day about it, um, but I feel that you, know, you just got to pick something that suits your life and just stick with it. Doesn't matter what it is. And, you know, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be super active for the rest of your life, then some sort of moving meditation is probably like a yoga, like a, like a, uh, uh, vinyasa, you know, type yoga would be really good. Um, if you're not and like, don't have a, a kinesthetic, you know, aptitude or don't want to be super active, you know, then there's a million other things you could pick, you know, and just pick one, pick one that says that, that expresses who you are and yeah, how, you know, how you exactly. want to do it. And because that's part it's of, diverse and there's so much yes. creativity and it can't be all the same anyway. Right. And that's part of the beauty, I think, of the modern world is we actually can share these things and share different modalities that might, you know, might not have been found years ago, but like someone really needed the pasna. And they're hearing this and they're like, oh my God, I've just found my thing. I've looked and I've tried other things and nothing works. And now I found my thing. Right. You know, I mean, it's like, that's the, um, that's the beauty of diversity is like, you know, whatever your thing is, it's out there. You just need to find it. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's it. But it converges. Um, that's the beauty. It converges. Yeah. And this is, this is why like, I find that although there's different religions to me, it's just a different way to connect to God, a different yeah. name, not different religion, different, if you call it the universe, you can call it energy, you can call it, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Same thing, different language. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, or vocabulary. I, I uh, so the difference between getting into being a, a neuroscientist or a lawyer uh, or whatever, I think is just language because ultimately, we use the same systems to come at anything and everything where, you know, everything is related to everything else. And the language may change, the vernacular may change, but it's, it's all the same thing. It's all, <laughs> it's all the same thing. Anyways, what do you have going on? Um, and I mean, I'll put it in the show notes, but how can people find you and what have you got going on? What's, what are the kind of the highlights? Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm on Twitter uh, at uh, Krishna Gandhi handle, um, often on Clubhouse, you know, there's some interesting yeah. groups of people and conversations on that where we found sure. each other. Yep. Um, and uh, in things going on, we, we have um, our, our product to, ready to launch soon. It has been, but there's been, you know, there's lots of things happening in the background and uh, 
yeah, it's uh, exciting times, you know, uh, there's, um, there's, there's a time where it's a place where, you know, the market's ready for it. So, yeah, and what's, uh, just because we didn't really touch on it before, what does, uh, what's your website and, and what, what will your product do for people? Um, so the website is www.simonix.com. That's an, and I'll put that in the, the, the show notes for sure. Okay. And um, it, we, uh, we're providing a service where you can measure your hormone levels from um, your brain um, data. So your EEG data, you just mm-hmm. put a headset on, measure it for 30 seconds, and you can measure your hormones between 30 seconds and three minutes. And you can measure your hormones within the clicks of a button. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really amazing. Awesome, Krishna. Um, this has been a pleasure. I'm sure we'll talk again. Uh, don't forget to leave a comment or a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. New episodes every Tuesday. And check us out on YouTube for short clips from each episode. Thank you. And until next time, remember, your life story is yours to write and rewrite as many times as you want.